Leadership changes are the hardest, right? And, and I've been at organizations where your CEOs are changing and, and you got to get either on board or off. And I think yeah. to not dilute your own self and your brand and your work ethic and what you bring to the table, you got to be yeah. honest with yourself. And yeah. that's not easy thing, but this is a super existential thing that I'll say, but. I think in your in your twenties, you're sprinting to show that you can bring value and you're proving to yourself as we all have that very much known of imposter syndrome. By the time you're 30, you're hoping that you've built some of that. And yeah. then by kind of the end of your thirties, uh, I'm I'm just there, so I can't talk about the forties yet. But <laughs> what I'll say what I'll say is what I'm realizing is that it's not a sprint, right? This is a marathon. Yes, your marathon. career is a marathon and and you gotta think about it that way. And and I think ensuring that you are the right person for the right time and place or that you're learning and applying yourself and, and going through and saying, I don't know this thing. I gotta find a way to learn it, whether it's at this job or so on. That's a really real part of product management. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Short apology here. You're about to hear a conversation I had with Parto Ghosh, and it is an excellent conversation around lots of aspects of product management. He had a great audio setup. I had a great audio setup. Plenty of hardware, great internet connection, and still, there are some funny audio glitches in this one. Some that we just couldn't remove no matter how hard we tried. So, apologize for those in advance. There aren't too many, and you'll definitely be able to hear the concept, but I I'm sorry for those. Rather than do a re-record, I just decided this is really good content. Let's hurry up and get it out to you. Thank you very much. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I hope you're having a great week. My guest today is Partho Ghosh, and I met Partho at a conference where he was speaking about product-led growth and some other topics. It was just so fascinating. The audience just, just loved his stories, and I walked up to him afterwards and said, hey, Partho, would you be interested in joining the podcast? And he said yes. So, <laughs> Partho, he's a product executive. He specializes in B2B SaaS, product-led growth. He's led a number of transformations at hyper-growth startups such as Unbounce, Banana Tag, Hootsuite, others. He was talking about those, and we were also interested in what he had to say. He's currently a VP product and general director of product-led growth and the whole self-serve aspect at Security Scorecard. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Partho, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Paul. I appreciate it. Yeah, how you doing? Chat. Things are going well, you know, busy. Busy as always. My last quarter, obviously, of the of twenty twenty three. So yeah. wanna wanna go wanna end well, wanna crush it. So yeah, yeah, it's been nice and busy. Yeah, and where are you call where are you talking to us from today? Canada. I'm in Vancouver, British Columbia, on the West Coast. And uh, yeah, it's it's funny actually it's my Security Scorecard is the first company uh, that I've worked for that's on the East Coast. What's nice oh. about Vancouver is we're, we're so close to San Fran. It's a, it's a hop away. Yeah. Uh, both San Fran and Seattle. So we're, we're pretty close to those hubs, but this is the first time I'm at a New York based company, which is, yeah, uh, there you go. Makes for some early morning. Uh, it does. <laughs> yes. My days start around and maybe even a little bit earlier. Yeah. Uh, and I think if it wasn't for having a daughter during the pandemic, that would be, that would have been a non-negotiable to me. Like, no, yeah. not going to happen. But now with the kiddo, 
now that doesn't matter. You know, we're yeah. up. <laughs> we're up early. <laughs> You're up early. That's great. Yeah. So, so Martha, maybe just give a run run through of of kind of some of your experiences and take us up to what you're doing now at today at Security Scorecard. Oh, sure. Yeah, it's it's been a fun journey. You know, I got into product kind of happenstance about I want to say almost twelve, kind of fifteen years ago. Not to age myself too much, but I, I was a business analyst actually at IBM. They were kind of moving into kind of the product ownership model. This is uh, pre Great Recession, and so that whole Scrum and Agile movement. I just happened to kind of be in a good time where the business analyst role was moving into this product ownership role. And then the whole kind of conflict between product ownership and product management happened, which uh, we can uh, talk about, I'm sure, at some yeah. point. And I just found myself towards the product management side. And that was that was kind of it, you know. And about a decade ago, I got into SaaS, specifically B2B SaaS, which is really where I've been in the last 10 years and really loved it. And I would say in the last five to seven years, it's really been a large focus of, of product-led growth, even though... Let's call it before four or five years ago, it wasn't known as that. It, right. was, it, was, it was just the motion that was working. And we'll talk more about that. But that really, for me, started at um, a company named Unbounce. So Unbounce is the leading landing page builder, the kind of a conversion rate optimization platform. And for the first seven, eight years of that business, they didn't have a sales team. It was all word of mouth. They had six founders, really brilliant guys. Most of them were marketers by trade. So they believed in like word of mouth and building great websites and landing pages. Obviously, that's the product itself. And so they they got pretty far without having a sales team fully bootstrapped. We're talking 20 plus million ARR. Yeah. And yeah, that was kind of the, this is all pre the G as it is, but that's what they were doing. And, and that's what was very formative in terms of like what I saw was really the fact that like we didn't have this issue on the sales side where we had all these one-off customer requests that were mm. coming in that we were having to source through as we were trying to drive our product vision and really innovate on our platform. That's where I saw and fell in love with PLG. It was like, wow, you can really focus on a product vision, really focus on innovation and really 10Xing your company or as many founders like to call it, creating a category if you kind of remove that. Now, years later, I think my mantra is I don't think one side works without the other. You, Your PLG and self-serve motion has to connect to some form of a sales motion. If you're going to be a company at scale, I'm talking 100 million ARR plus businesses. I just have yet to see a company that isn't doing both those sides effectively. That's really driving scale in a meaningful way. And so, you know, that's that's the big lessons. Now you have to kind of figure out how do you drive innovation and through have sales led side and the product led side. But it it works. Like a lot of companies have this problem, right? Yeah. Slack's doing it amazingly. Let's call it Mirror and Jira. There's so many companies to look after now that do this well. So yeah, that was a very formative time. Just I'll quickly wrap my my story up here. After Unbound, moved into a couple of high, hyper-growth startups. One of them was a, a funny name for a product called Banana Tag. We were an internal communication platform. But we actually had a, a Chrome extension that was really a large lead generation platform for us, even though we were enterprise focused. Mm. And we got bought out by the largest player in that space. And they basically wanted to purchase the company for a land and expand motion, which is obviously very key to yeah. PLG. So it was cool Absolutely. seeing that from a 
just in the enterprise space. Like they were, we were so Fortune 1000 focused. You wouldn't have thought that it was a very, let's call it PLG train. And that led me to Hootsuite. I was, I was hoping to take some time off, had my, my daughter at the, at the time and, I was going to take a, a decent amount of time off, but then Hootsuite came knocking with this challenge of they were looking to revitalize what was essentially their PLG motion. And and they had obviously a very strong PLG motion at the start. They got yeah. to 100 million plus really through that motion, but then they became very sales led and, and really went the opposite direction. The pendulum swung all the way to enterprise sales, really just focusing on, on mission and the product eroded. That was the biggest piece of the product. And, wow. Yeah. You know, became a feature factory. And there was a lot that we had to remove. We had to kind of kill from the experience. We had to make sure that the mid-market SMB customers that we were primarily serving while also serving these enterprise customers had an easy path into the product and a usable path in the product. And that was cool. We got that motion working again and really healthy. We were posting amazing numbers after going years with basically stagnant growth on the PLG side. So yeah. And now I'm at Security Scorecard. It's a little different of a of a, a challenge. Basically testing and validating whether this self-serve PLG train is going to work at a at a very much an enterprise cybersecurity platform. I think we've proven that the free motion works very well. So product-led sales is working very well. We have a free platform that's used by tens of uh, almost hundreds of thousands, actually, of of users. And so that's going very well. And now we're really looking at the self-serve motion holistically. But it's a test. I told my founders, it's a test. I'm, I'm being challenged to come in and see if this would work. I think... A lot of folks have their doubts. I had my own doubts, but I was like, I'm up, I'm up for the test. And we validated that free to sales motion is very, very valuable. We'll see what, uh, what happens from there. Great. It's going to be fun. Watch how that goes. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, I think that, that they hired the right person for that job based on your experiences. So when you think of, through this, I mean, what would you say that the, right approach is then for, for product. We talked about feature factory, maybe dive into that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think a, you kind of have to think about where you are in scale. I think I know, I know I've, I've listened to a lot of podcasts where, especially years back where it was like, Oh, that seems so applicable, but probably at larger companies and not smaller companies. Yeah. But what I, what I will say to anyone listening is that you have to think about where you are as a business. If you're startup at, let's say, sub 10 million ARR, probably less than 100 people, the motion that your founders grew up with that got them to product market fit is it's critical that you push on that, right? If they're at that stage, it probably means they have some form of market fit. And on the sales side, and you're a sales-led organization, then understanding the, the decisions you're making at that time will have an impact when that company gets to 50 million to a hundred million. And so as product managers, we have to be a little bit more future thinking. I think that's a big part of our, our management is the product life cycle. Well, at some point in that life cycle, the majority stage is going to come in. The sunsetting stage might come in at some point. So thinking about the idea that whatever you're building, even if it's to close a certain deal today, even if it's to close a deal tomorrow, if it's really a one-off piece, how are you going to build that? Is that actually the right decision to make? And if so, should it be segmented in a way where it doesn't hurt your product as a whole, 
What I mean by that is your product experience is that yeah. not needed for every customer. And so we should actually find a way to really just have it for one customer. Yeah. I'm not saying you should white label, really, but that, those are decisions and questions I don't think come up early on. And they, yeah. they haunt product folks in the future, right? That's the biggest part. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a tough place to be in and tough way to figure yourself through. Should you have is feature factory good or bad, right? I know and it's the interesting piece is I I mean I, I think what I'll say is I've always used that term in a negative connotation. And I, yeah. I and I think that that might be unfair if you're a scaling startup. We we have to respect the fact that a lot of founders are are need revenue growth, right? We need yeah. profitability. We got to make ends meet and and you got to do that. And I think that if you're just a little bit more future thinking in that stage, then you can alleviate a lot of problems that you might have in the future. But inevitably, you got to do what you got to do. And so I think that's the the other side is like if you're a larger organization and you're a product leader or a product manager at a large organization, realize that like whether you've been tasked to come in and think about the next phase of this company and the next phase of a product strategy, yeah. or maybe you're implementing PLG at a sales-led org or vice versa, I think understanding the future, the, the past selves of yourself had to make yeah. hard decisions. and. Yeah. And now it's time to question all of that. Like that's what we did at Hootsuite was really look at all the different kind of one-off features. And there were, there were quite a few and what should we segment and, and make available for those different customers. And then what should we make sure is the optimal path for the, uh, the numbers are pretty vast, 250,000 plus customers, a million plus active users on the free platform uh, when we had that. So they weren't small numbers, right? And so you got to question all of those things. Yeah. It's like a mindset. You start out in one way and then you just, as you, like you said, different things happening along the journey and you find yourself somewhere else than maybe where you started. And along came your culture and your culture changed and right. All this. And to get back, Right. Or to modify away from that and maybe to something that is more in line with what you really want to go. First record you need to do it. But now you're back into change again, aren't you? And culture and mindset and just share some of your experiences with that. Yeah. I mean, it's I think the A, I, I hope most folks getting into our industry, whether it's in technology or pro changes the reason I, I would expect yeah. that we get into this game and yeah. but change is also hard and it's it's also not why everyone else joins right although that's often a a conversation I've had as a product leader is like when we do a lot of town halls and let's call them pitches to our organization of where we're going you often always kind of talking about the fact that like don't forget we are we're either a hyper growth startup or we're a scaling company like change is the name of the game for these technology companies and so i think cultural changes have been hard i I think what i've seen mostly is that these these happen at these stages based on revenue numbers and employee numbers right like I, i think zero to one is a very interesting game i've learned over my time that like it's not, I'm not the best at zero to one always. I, I think I'm great at zero to one when there's already an existing base. Mm-hmm. So like the next, when you're expanding adjacencies, but zero to one without anything else, it's a build, yeah. build. And, and I think that if you're joining an org and you have that and that's where you are, it's a very different game. 
And when you get to the point where you make it and now you're one to 10, yeah. let's call it 10 million, that's a very different game too. And you, you see people move on and sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes folks should move on. They don't realize it. And that conversation doesn't happen. And then again, I would say 10 to 50 is kind of another like game in itself. And that continues on. Like I think 50 to 250 is another one that's a little different. And then 250 to 1 billion, which is where I'm at right now. Like I've been exploring companies that are in that space. I have in my own experience yet to work on a 1 billion ARR business, but it's different from, all the others. I, I've had the pleasure of working from zero all the way up to 300 through 50 million. And they're just very different stages. Yeah, and yeah. and sometimes I think the biggest thing to know is that A, being reflective that yourself might not be the right person for that role or where you're at. You might need to hire people. Yep. Come yep. on. Or if you're in a role as an employee and an individual contributor and you're struggling that recognition of like whether or not it's the right fit for you or that you enjoy it the same way that you did before, yeah. you might need to expand your horizons and learn what that space looks like in a different role. Those are big question marks, I think, yep. that should ask themselves. Definitely. And people are people. And there's opportunities to grow, right? A lot of times you'll see a new executives come in because you're going to take it that next step, right? And you need that additional experience. And, and it's not the same zero to one, as you said, from, from 10 to 50. It's totally different. And so as a PM, all of a sudden you find yourself working for people that have a, a, a different way, a different agenda, a different, different style, a different, and that's, I guess you need to look at it as opportunity. You got to look at it as opportunity. And I think the biggest thing is like leadership changes are the hardest, right? And, and I've been at organizations where your CEOs are changing and, and you got to get either on board or off. And I think to not dilute your own self and your brand and your work ethic and what you bring to the table, you got to be honest with yourself. And that's not easy thing, but this is a super existential thing that I'll say, but I think in your in your 20s, you're sprinting to show that you can bring value and you're proving to yourself as we all have that very much known of imposter syndrome. By the time you're 30, you're hoping that you've built some of that. And <laughs> yeah. then by kind of the end of your 30s, uh, I'm, I'm just there, so I can't talk about the 40s yet. But <laughs> what, I'll say, what I'll say is what I'm realizing is that it's not a sprint. Right. This is a marathon. Yes, Your marathon. career is a marathon. And, and you got to think about it that way. And, and I think ensuring that you are the right person for the right time and place or that you're learning and applying yourself and, and going through and saying, I don't know this thing. I got to find a way to learn it, whether it's at this job or so on. That's a really real part of product management. Yeah. Yeah. But isn't that the best part? Like, isn't the fact that we are always learning and changing yes. the best part of this role? I think so. Absolutely. That's what I love about it. And it's it's every 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 year now there's something new coming, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, yeah. this whole we're all going through generative AI. Yeah. You know, exactly. Some, some companies it's funny, like I think back to my time at Unbounce, they actually made some huge bets in twenty fifteen around generative AI yeah. and it was early. Like we had yeah. customers and users saying what are you talking about? Like no robot is going to take my job, right? Like that was the the sentiment yeah. from customers because it was so nascent at that time. 
it was just early. It was too early, yeah, right? right? I, I right. know we weren't the only ones at that time looking at that stuff, but there definitely wasn't a majority looking at that stuff then in 2015. And now it's it's everywhere. And now customers expect it and, and want it, which is great. Yeah. So it's, yeah. change happens for sure. Well, let's shift gears a little bit, Partho. I want to talk to you more of, a little bit about like your product development process, how, how you develop yeah. these products and create them. Maybe give us some thoughts on that. I know you have some processes and some mindsets uh, that you've been talking, you've kind of been working on. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's really important. I think a lot of folks, especially leaders and executives join companies and they don't look at the product management life cycle, as I call it. Yeah. And, and obviously that is a product development process and whether you want to call that an it is the fact that product should be in the process of discovery and really having an understanding of how your organization are bringing ideas into the fold and how you're discovering those ideas in a rapid way, in a lean way, before uh, you move into any form of a product delivery model. And the nice thing I'll yeah. say about that is we're in a place right now where there's so many amazing tools like Miro and Figma that you can prototype so rapidly these days. It's pretty insane how fast things have gotten in terms of how quick you can go through product discovery versus even a few years ago. And so to me, I think yeah, really yeah. clarifying a step-by-step -step process that I think the biggest thing to know when I've created different product management life cycles and I show the life cycle and I talk about like, here's, here's what I think we consider ideation versus discovery versus validation before you move into kind of design and prototyping yeah. and then delivery. It almost sounds waterfall, but if your group is smart, then they're going to realize that there's agility baked into it that you don't have to do all the things that are in a template. You're just, this life cycle is there for you to make sure that you're thinking about things the right way. And that whether the end artifact for a product manager is a one pager or a canvas of some kind, they've asked the right questions, hopefully pretty quickly and validate idea again, hopefully pretty quickly to be able to get their technical leadership, their design leaders. I hope in this day and age, they're including data and analytic leaders alongside even maybe product marketing to kind of form an opinion of what should be built next. And so, yes, that's, a, you know, I think laying that out in a, in a, in a board of some kind, you know, I have it always on a mirror board and it changes company to company. And I give suggestions of what are tactics and activities that you should be thinking about as a product manager. I make it very clear that like there's a list of, 20 things that you could do in this phase. Let's call it the ideation phase, right? There's 20 things. Or now you're going into the validation phase. There's 20 things. I make it very clear as much as possible. You're not meant to do all 20 of those things. You're just looking to right. make sure you answer that. Yes, I've, I've thought about ideation. I thought about validation. I feel like I'm good with the discovery, right? I was just talking to a, an executive, a high-level executive at a company just yesterday he was sharing the challenge that his company has become, well, if there are 20 things, we got to do all 20, right? It's like yeah. a checklist. And it's like, no, yeah. no, 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 no. How, how do you create a process that these are things you could do? These are guides. These are things to think about, as you said. I really, oh man, I'm so on board with that approach. 
Yeah, it's tough. That's the place you don't want to get to, right? That's the first thing. And the other part is like, I I met a lot of PMs that have paralysis by analysis. Like they really get Mm. stuck. And I, and and then it comes back to the product leader of like discovery is taking forever. It's like this waterfall thing. I'm like, no, it's not meant to be. And that's the thing to any product manager listening out there is like, we all love and read amazing books around discovery, right? Whether it's it's Marty Kagan's books, whether it's Teresa Torres' discovery yeah. books, there's amazing things in there. But I think people read those things and they don't realize that you're supposed to do that fast, right? It's lean discovery. Yeah. It's, you got to do it quickly. And that's yeah. hard. This is not an easy yeah. job. You're supposed to do it fast and, it's, and you should be thinking ahead of time. So yeah, and, yeah, but you don't want to be doing the 20 things or on the list. Let's do the 20 things. Like that's yeah. 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 I, I know I cut you off, but that was such a, I just couldn't wait because it was just so fresh in my mind from this conversation. No, that's great. No, not at all. Yeah. yeah. I've heard you speak about build, measure, learn and the mindset around it. Maybe you could share some, some thoughts around that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, it's a binding principle in my product management philosophy, so to speak, that ever since reading Lean Startup years, years, years ago, I, it, it was, it was clear, especially as I'd mentioned at this, at the top of this, I started as a business analyst. So listening to all these customers and giving all the requirements as a, this kind of client to business analyst role. And you're thinking to yourself, boy, you don't need 80% of what you're asking for, but we're going to do all of them because that's the way this is set up. And I'm the business analyst that's writing all this down. The amazing thing in product and product management was you're doing that. You're the one. You don't have to listen to all of it. You, you're supposed True. to think about what is needed. And I think that that's such a, uh, an amazing thing. So being able to really the build, measure, learn piece, now that we can reduce scope and test and iterate, I I think that the biggest thing I'll call out is number one, get rooted in, in data, right? If you're going to go and build, measure, learn, there's so many companies that don't even look at adoption and data and even have access to analysts on their teams it's such a sad state to yeah, see that. It is. Um, it is. And yeah. It really, if you're going to have a build, measure, learn mindset as a company and culture, you got to have way more analysts, I think, in your midst than not. I, I think I've done a lot of these different homework assignments for different interviews that I've had in the past. And one thing I always say is I want X number of proc analysts because they pay dividends. They, they yeah. up-level everyone, not just in product, but everywhere else. Yeah. Um, and that's because of that build, measure, learn. The other part is like, I think a lot of folks think about build, measure, learn and, and experimentation is just split testing. And that's a really non-factual thing. Like, mm. and split testing can be expensive of companies. Like at Security Scorecard, we've only run one split test in my time here in well, mm. just under six months. Yeah. At that same time, when I was at Hootsuite, we ran 20 is my team not experimenting as much as Hootsuite? No, that's not true. We are experimenting just as much. It's that we just can't use split testing as the measure because statistical significance is going to take way too long. So we have other means and other methods. There's an awesome book. I'm going to forget the name. I think it's Testing Business Ideas. It's from the Strategizer series. So the same series as like Business Model Generation and Value Proposition Design. This book is just literally an almanac of different ways to test and experiment. And it's like 250 pages, wow. very visual. 
And it gives you the capability of also looking at like, where are you in your life cycle? Mm, Are you ideation, validation, delivery? So it's kind of cool that way. But split testing is one of the pages out of 250, right? Um, (laughs) So yeah, yeah, I bet you if you talk to PMs, the majority of their knowledge is going to be split testing. And build, measure, learn. My experience, I'm curious to hear about yours because you have a lot more than I do, but measure of the three, measure is is build, everybody gets. Measure, a little less good at it. And learn, <laughs> that's the one that, yeah. okay, is anybody really learning? What are you learning? Yeah. And then how do you change because you're learning? And that's, I just see this this experience base of, of we need to do be- better measuring and we need to do much better learning. <laughs> I would totally agree. And I, yeah. I mean, I think... I go as saying is like, I think we all get the build part, but we still fail at it a lot. Like we yeah, don't right. build way too much scope and yeah. MVP is a, a bloated term that's gets it is now. really misused. And I've always seen MVPs as an evaluation. I, I know the, the term product is in there, but I'm like, this is the minimal viable kind of like evaluation of whether or not someone in this company should heavily invest in this idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the first version of it shouldn't be some pared down, down no. experience. It, it should be magnificent, but yes, scope is a, we also have to think about scope creep and making sure we're being diligent on like what's really needed. But I think we see too many way watered down yeah. features and products go to market that are Absolutely. like, and, ado- and then you said it right. Measure. How many people are measuring adoption and how many people are actually using analytics day to day? I know in the last three companies, a part of the product growth team's function was to ensure the rest of the product management teams were looking at usage data and analytics. Like they're almost a, what's the right term? I don't know what the right term would be, but they're almost pushing that agenda at all times. Right. They're gatekeeping, making sure people are. Absolutely which it should be just in our nature. I think that that's a part of a modern product manager's toolkit now is you better be data informed moving forward. Yeah. But then like you said, learning, that's a leadership down thing in my opinion as well. Are you taking the time to learn with your customers, with your product team together? Are you talking about what came out the door and how outcomes are performing? I would gander a lot of folks aren't. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I think it is... Sometimes they aren't because they're not given the opportunity to. Hundred percent. Right? Again, leadership yeah. down, right? I think that's the total yeah. thing that I would, I would square for mostly on leaders and not individual contributors. Yeah. Well, we're getting near the end of our time, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna want to ask your thoughts on how do you do collaboration with a team? What things have you found that that work? And just give you maybe some examples and thoughts about that. Sure. I think within the the product team, I think it's it's obviously a critical piece to have. I, I see a lot of interpersonal conflict that happens within different product managers and you got to really resolve those and you got to really dive in and kind of remove the people side of that, that we're here to, to do right for our business. I think the bigger challenge is collaborating obviously with all of our departments. Yeah. And, I, and I, I think that really aligning the motivations of what your marketing team has, what your sales team has and your CS team and and what your product team has, especially in this day and age with PLG, where there's a big backbone with product now. Like it's not uh, just a servant type relationship anymore. We have our own PNLs, we have our own incentives and programs we have to ensure are growing. So the collaboration piece, I think is really critical. 
And I think aligning the motivations of these different departments with what you're doing, knowing when there's going to be something that's a rub and, yep. and making sure that your executives and leaders are helping you with that. Like you don't have to do it alone. That's the the biggest piece of advice I've used a lot is my team doesn't involve me where I should be involved to have these hard conversations. Like guys, like why, why didn't we have this conversation? Why didn't you get me in the loop right. to help out and, and do some yeah. you know, conversation? Like let's be real, right? Companies are have politics and you got to play the game and we wish we didn't, but that's just the truth. So I would say as a product manager, don't be shy to, to lean on your leaders in that manner. I think they expect that's part of the game and they're there to help. Hopefully I would say a poor leader doesn't help. Correct. I would agree. I'm sure there's enough adages about bad managers and bad leaders out there that we don't have to rehash, but that's a job. That's a part of the job. And so I think too many PMs try and go it alone. And I I wouldn't, I wouldn't go it alone. I would try to really involve as much data, tell your story, bring, make a really great story, be excited about your story, and then go and work with all these different departments to understand how they take your story and and what are their sentiments and feelings about it. And then bring the customer voice in as well. Right. That's the biggest biggest voice that can matter. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. Let nobody has to go alone. You don't have to be the lone superhero, right? As soon as you get somebody else in, in the organization telling your story and on board, the more the merrier, right? That is, that's the unlock. Right. And I think, Over communicating, I, I talk about this a little bit because uh, I've I've had funny feedback come back to myself in the past, which I always chuckle about. I tell the story of the time where we got um, feedback that we were over communicating and people were getting annoyed of us talking about the same thing over and over. Yet a week later, the game of telephone occurred, and it was like, <laughs> well, we got this feedback from your group that you we were over communicating. Yet here you are, it's the wrong story and the wrong thing we're doing. And so I think really, like you said, if people can rehash things for you and they're evangelizing it, you're building a network effect in your own company. And that's the way I would think about it. Yeah. Great. Well, Partha, we, we talked about a lot when you reflect on our conversation, is there something you said, Hey, Paul, we should have covered this or, or anything. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that maybe was really interesting is we, we talked about discovery. At the start, we did talk a little bit of like the scale of zero to one and one to 10 and these different motions. I think that's a great topic for someone to take at some point, just diving deeper in the differences of like product-led growth and sales-led growth. Like now that it's such a known thing in this world, there's so many startups and I've consulted with some of these startups that are in the zero to one phase where they're deciding What's my motion? That's a big question. The first question isn't always what's, hopefully it's about value and what product we're putting out there, but they're asking very quickly, what motion am I going to choose? Uh, how am I going to go to market? And that's obviously important, but they're legit asking themselves, am I going to be PLG or SLG? Like that, those are terms that come out. And I think huge. that's such a huge topic of like, oh, well, what is, what does Discovery look at like at a PLG company? What does Discovery look at an SLG company at these different phases? So lots. Well, lots maybe of that's some, yeah, maybe that's something we could we could talk about at another another episode. That'd yeah, be really sounds cool. great. Yeah, yeah. people in, it'll be cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This has been really fun, Partha. Now I know you you're out there. You've got some uh, stuff out on YouTube. You've got some presentations you've done. I mean, if people want to kind of track you, follow you, what's the best ways? 
Yeah, it's definitely LinkedIn. I'm really not on much social outside of LinkedIn now. Yeah. So my LinkedIn's linkedin.com slash product partho or slash in slash product partho. My my brand is kind of product partho. <laughs> I had to brand myself product somehow. Partho. So yeah, yeah, I try to post on on these kind of topics all the time. And uh, yeah, thanks for the call. I do appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. What we'll do is we'll put those, we'll put all the links if somebody's out there driving or jogging. Don't worry. Don't have to stop and write it down. We'll, we'll put the links <laughs> in so that you can get to them. But I, I have to encourage everybody to uh, to follow you on, on LinkedIn and check out the stuff you're talking about. Thanks. If you ever go to a conference and you see Partho presenting, step in and listen to what he has to say because it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. Right. Partho, have a great week. It was really fun you talking too. to you. Thanks. And I wish the rest of you listening a great week out there. That was a lot of fun. Do reach out and, and, and follow Partho. Great guy. Great guy, as you can tell. And, and uh, I'll see if uh, we, can, we can have more discussions with him in the future. We'll try to bend his arm. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.